Are you guys ready to have a good time? Yeah. Awesome. Well, then please join me in welcoming this evening's guest moderator, Jason Wickham, founder of Mind Body Green, and tonight's guests, Tara Stiles and William J. Broad. So I am uh, happy to be here tonight with uh, William Broad, the author of The Science of Yoga. And what about me? Tara Stiles, the author <laughs> of Yoga Cure. Oh, look. Oh. The power of technology. There you go. And uh, we'll give a little, a little bio on the people here. We've got uh, William has practiced yoga since 1970. He's Ooh, dinosaur. Dinosaur William. <laughs> He's a senior writer at the New York Times. He's won every major award in print and television as a science journalist. And now he's venturing into yoga. And then we've got Tara Stiles right here, who is the owner of Strala Yoga in Manhattan, the author of Yoga Cures, and one of my favorite sound bites ever. As Vanity Fair noted, Tara Stiles has got to be the coolest yoga instructor ever. I paid them to say that. <laughs> So we're going we're gonna to start to talk about, uh, well, you guys are going to read. What? This yes. a big literate challenge. <laughs> yeah. William, you want to start first? You go first? Sure. Okay, this is um, the beginning of chapter one of my book. And um, the story it tells is sort of a metaphor for some of the science that I talk about in the course of the book. Ranjit Singh was an ugly little man who liked to surround himself with beautiful women. In childhood, smallpox had taken his left eye and pitted his face. He was unlettered, but Singh built an empire through force of character, uniting the warring tribes of western India. He became Majaraha of the Punjab and amassed great wealth, including the Koh-i-Noor, at the time the world's largest diamond. He could be generous. Though a Sikh, he gave a Hindu temple a ton of gold. Singh was a military genius and a humane despot. Most of all, he knew men. In 1837, Singh learned that a wandering yogi had approached the court to propose live burial as a demonstration of his spiritual powers. The king agreed to sponsor the entombment, but undertook a number of precautions. The holy man would be interred in a small building in the palace. In preparation, Singh would have three of its four doorways sealed with bricks and mortar, turning the open structure into something resembling a jail, or less optimistically, a crypt. Military officers as well as European doctors watched as the yogi arranged himself into a sitting posture. It was most likely the full lotus with legs crisscrossed and feet atop the, eye, the, the, thigh, the thighs. Attendants then wrapped the yogi in white linen and placed him inside a wooden box. It rested in a shallow pit below the building's floor. No dirt was applied because the yogi had expressed concern about ants attacking his body. The building was judged to have no hole that could admit air, no passageway through which food could pass. Sentries kept watch night and day. The internment lasted 40 days and 40 nights, a period that, from biblical times, has stood for completeness and unbroken cycles. Then, the king rode up on his elephant, dismounted before his assembled court, and surveyed the results. 
The linen bag looked mildewed as if it had laid undisturbed for a long time. The yogi's legs and arms proved to be cold, stiff, and shriveled, his skin pale. No, no pulse could be detected. And then his eyes opened. The yogi's body convulsed violently. His nostrils flared. A faint heartbeat could now be heard. After a few minutes, his eyes dilated. His color returned. Seeing the king nearby, the yogi asked in a low, barely audible voice, Do you believe me now? <laughs> That's it. And, it. and it starts a whole train of thought and logic and science about how yoga can slow the body's metabolism, which turns out to have all kinds of huge hidden benefits, including cures. <laughs> Thank you, William. Tara, we're ready for you. I was thinking of trying that cave trick next week. Think I could pull it off? I don't know. Cave, you guys know any caves around here? So I could well. try that. I don't think I'd make it. We'd have to get Sarah's green juice in there. Sneak it in. <laughs> okay. Um, I really liked that part of the book too. That was very storytelling. He's like the Michael Pollan of yoga. It's like pretty cool, right? <laughs> okay. So um, I guess I should read my part now. All right. So this is a part on. Um, it's called Balancing Act, uh, Be Here Now. Uh, I didn't make that up, Ram Dass said that. <laughs> but it's pretty cool, so I said it to you. But he did say that. Okay. When you're balancing perfectly in a tree pose, everything is easy. Your breath is deep and relaxed, and your muscles are working for you just as you'd like. It's pure and simple, efficient. When you're having a great day, the same things occur. Your breathing is relaxed, your body is working harmoniously with your mind, and everything just feels easier because you're in a state of balance. Why is balance important? <laughs> From a life lesson standpoint, it's about learning to enjoy yourself without getting the ego involved. Say you're doing a headstand. The moment you think to yourself, wow, I'm doing this pose, is usually the moment you'll topple out of it. You take yourself out of the moment and knock yourself off balance when you judge and think about what you are doing rather than experiencing and enjoying what you are doing. That's what yoga teaches, how to be fully present now, no matter the circumstance. We focus on breathing because each inhale creates more space in our bodies. We focus on movement as each movement reminds us that every movement invites a new opportunity for change. Each exhale allows us to let go of the moment that has just passed. Our attention to each breath keeps us in the now. Learning to savor the moment keeps us from living in constant worry and fear and tension over things that haven't happened yet and may never come to pass. Practicing yoga helps us to undo these bad mental habits and stress triggers that we often unknowingly pick up along the way. But, you might be asking, what if the now is really crappy? <laughs> how can we live in the moment and help, how can living in the moment help that? When your life is not in balance and you're struggling to achieve stability, practicing observation without judgment gets really interesting and very useful. How? Because you can learn to distance yourself from the roller coaster ride of your emotions and circumstances, but still enjoy the ride of life. Outside means of escape like alcohol, drug use, and even overeating are a means of pushing uncertainty away and covering it up temporarily. And they may feel comforting for the moment, but I don't need to tell you that eventually they will cause more trouble than they ever solve. There's a big lesson in experiencing uncertainty and, and calmality with a sober focus. The most chaotic moments are the ones from which we can learn the most. Let's go back to the tree pose. When your tree pose is going crazy and you're falling and your leg is burning and it feels impossible to maintain any sort of stability, practice observing what's happening instead of getting wrapped up in the circumstance. 
If you can learn to be easy with your breath in these moments, your body and mind will follow. All the body systems and processes, your nerves, your emotions, take instruction from what is going on with your breath. When your breathing is easy and deep, your body works efficiently and your mind settles. That doesn't mean that your balance in tree pose or anywhere else will be perfect and your life will be seamless, but you'll be better equipped to deal with the wobbles and earthquakes that get thrown into the mix. You can fall out of a tree pose with ease or with frustration and a sense of defeat. Just like you can take a spill in your life and decide to dust yourself off with a chuckle or annoyed grunt and get back up, or you can stay down, lie there, and give up. It's entirely up to you. It's your life and your practice. And as I said before, what you practice on the mat is what you end up doing in your life. Any of the yoga poses could be substituted in this analogy. How you practice is much more meaningful than what yoga moves you can do or you cannot do. A successful tree pose probably won't change your life. Learning how to keep your breath easy, long, and deep, no matter what the circumstance, it absolutely will. Awesome. Thank you, Tara. The end. <laughs> so needless to so say, to you both practice yoga. But someone's been practicing for a while, and you've been practicing for a while, too. You want to talk about how you got started, William? Yeah, I, it was 1970, I was a freshman in college and all my friends were doing it. So I tried it too, and I got hooked. I loved it, it made me feel better in body and mind. Um, also, I was raised a Roman Catholic, I was an altar boy. There was a spiritual side to all that which intrigued me. I read a lot and um, I just enjoyed it and have incorporated it in, into my life. Probably since I've become a journalist, it's become even more important. And I've discovered that a lot of my colleagues at the New York Times do yoga. Sometimes people who are in the most stressful positions of all, for instance, in Baghdad, in war zones where they don't know if they're gonna, you know, hit a booby-trapped, uh, you know, street corner or what. And they are using yoga as a tool to unwind, to unplug, to relax to develop that sense of calm that gives them the freshness and the energy to go, go out and do it for another day, to be a good journalist. So it's huge in my life, I love it. And um, you know, the book has, you know, the privilege of having five years to research this has, has explained to me um, a lot of the hidden and more overt benefits. I understand it at a deeper level now. And it is really good stuff. Thank you, awesome. You practice too, Tara, from what I've heard. <laughs> That's the rumor. That's the rumor. Um, so, like, my story, practicing yoga, how I got involved. Um, okay, so I guess I was a weird kid. Like, I think all kids are weird kids. <laughs> and uh, I'm from a tiny little farm town in the middle of Illinois. Like, you drive there to my parents' house, and it says no data available and that kind of stuff. And um, I'd go off to the woods when I was a little kid and do things that looked like yoga that I was remembering and kind of like meditation type things. And I'd, I'd see colors. I would see things that weren't there and all this stuff that I thought was really cool. And I'd come back, and I'd tell my parents like mom dad we're all connected and the trees are connected and we're connected to the trees and the planets and I'm, I came here from somewhere else and I love you and then you're like don't tell anybody that where that's crazy where do you come from it is your first visit here to planet earth so um I'm like don't you feel the same way and they're like no we are your parents <laughs> and you need to stop talking about that so um so I stopped talking about that but you know I was also uh, raised Catholic and I was really into really into God, but not so much into the people that were organizing God and all that stuff. Feeling you're not alone on that one. Well yeah, put. Yeah, so um, the people kind of 
got in the way a little bit, but um, at least in my school. Uh, but um, I was in a ballet program uh, from a young age also, and we had this, I call him a yoga man, because he was this very proper yoga man, and this was before kind of the boom of yoga and everything. So we started doing yoga, and I said, oh my God, other people, is this is what I was doing in the woods? What does the yoga man look like? I'm very curious. <laughs> he was, uh, looked a lot like William, actually. Was it William? <laughs> Maybe There's William was not, not yoga us? man. It all comes back together. But no, he was uh, very calm, very centered, and he didn't seem to have this role of that, you know, other people had. Like, this is my place in life, and this is how I relate to you. He was a yoga man. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. And then all of a sudden from there, like all these other, you know, yoga people came out, you know, I found people and I went to Yogananda's place in San Diego and kind of kept going and, you know, moved here and saw again how people can, um, ruin things and uh you know but that's just the nature of people people get involved and it's not just with yoga it's with water and everything <laughs> but you know we can also help and fix things so that's kind of how i came back around to deciding well maybe i can help people while helping myself to um to practice yoga in an easygoing way that feels good so that's how i awesome. kind of came to thank life. you like you <laughs> and so you both believe that yoga cures in different ways, and I know in both of, in both of your books, obviously, Tara, your whole book is Yoga Cures, uh, and in your book, William, too, you talk about uh, the healing benefits of yoga. Uh, two things that stuck out to me: you talk about a lot about uh, yoga and depression, and arthritis is another thing. Do you want to share that with the audience? Yeah, chapter three is entitled "Moods," and the scientific evidence is so strong. Um, there are cutting-edge studies that have recently been done at Harvard and Boston University that show that the practice of yoga, just the routine practice of yoga, releases neurotransmitters in the brain called GABA. It is the most powerful antidepressant molecule that can percolate through the brain. Yoga unleashes it. It's like the sunshine coming out inside your head. Everybody knows this intuitively, I think, who practices yoga, right? But um, to see the powerful science that is backing it up is really cool. I had the privilege of uh, studying at Kripalu with Amy Weintraub, who's written this wonderful book called uh, Yoga for Depression. And there were about 35 of us during that weekend seminar. And we came out of that. And I'm telling you, everybody was floating about four feet off the floor. And I didn't think that, you know, <laughs> smile muscles could get that smiley. Um, the sunshine had come out for, for everybody. Um, that had, I mean, this sounds kind of like airy-fairy and, oh, yeah, yoga makes you feel good. Well, one million people, one million persons on this planet every year commit suicide because they're depressed. You know, the fact that yoga can be a simple routine way to address depression is an enormously huge deal, right? It can help lots of people, and you probably see it in your studio and your classes all the time. They come in, they get hooked, and they get light. It lightens up their being. It's a, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to behold. Thank you. Do you want to talk a little about that, Tara, what you see in the studio in your book, how you see yoga curing people and helping them? and like? Sure. Um, I mean, it's, it's really neat having a, you know, I call it like big crazy family at studio. A lot of you guys are here. Shout out if you go to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, that's so much fun. Uh, 
But uh, but no, it, it is really neat because you know there's a big huge group. Oh man, it's here too. There's a big huge group of regulars, and um, you know a lot of people also come in and out. So and it's you know like the. Uh, all that stuff that gets released when you're happy, it's like, it, it, you can feel it in the air in the studio and it's, it's really, it yeah. becomes a vibe. It's in the space and it's, you know, like people come into the studio and they're like, whoa, the space is so good, you know? And it's, it's really true. There's something to that, that, um, you know, molecules and energy have to go somewhere. I always like uh, joke with people, like you go into a room with uh, a group of people that are really stressed out and anxious and those molecules go somewhere too and you start to feel that way and closed off. But when you go into a room where, people are practicing breathing and paying attention, especially if they're practicing in a way that's more easygoing and not so stressful because I think a lot of them, um, you know, the modern yoga trends can be more like, you know, I have to get this pose, I have to do this, and it becomes more of just an extension of whatever else is going on in your life too. But if you can really calm down and practice in that way that's more um, holistic and you kind of have more faith in yourself, then, you know, we all just kind of look around, you're like, I love everybody here, <laughs> you know? One, just going back to um, the calming phenomena, the little anecdote that I started chapter one with, with the burial of the Punjab yogi, um, the first yoga scientist who wrote a book in 1851, his synonym for yoga was human hibernation. You know, he was studying yogis who could slow themselves down a lot. And you talk about healing. Um, the number one killer in industrial societies is heart disease. So, and the studies are absolutely blindingly clear. You take up yoga and your blood pressure is going to go down. Hypertension, forget about it. You know, you are going to unplug and you're going to relax. So that has all kinds of uh, repercussions for health at a very, very deep, deep level of the body. Even deeper, you know, talk about wild healing um, is the distressing quality of yoga. This is very, very cutting edge science. This is just preliminary stuff. But the evidence suggests that the de-stressing quality of yoga helps to rebuild individual tips of chromosomes in every cell in the human body. There's a little clock in there called telomeres on the tips of the chromosomes that determine how long individual cells are gonna live. And one excellent study with a woman who just shared the Nobel Prize for research on this topic shows that telomerase, an enzyme, gets released by yoga, the distressing qualities of yoga, to help rebuild these little biological clocks, which means they are slowing down the body's natural aging mechanism or maybe reversing it. You know, stay tuned. We'll see what the studies show in the future. But, you know, that's fundamental, cool, powerful healing at a cellular level, right? Reversing the biological clock. Who knew? And you talk about slowing down, which I think is an important point. Uh, you both talk about this in your books, the idea of, you know, we're, we're, we're all very good about doing things fast, about speeding up, about accomplishing a lot. We live in New York for, after, you know, uh, but we're not very good at slowing down. And you both talk about that, the importance of slowing down, slowing down your practice and, and being more in tune. I know you talk about that a lot. Um, one thing that I love in your book that you specifically touch on is how when you, you know, when you slow down, you're able to tune in and find your true authentic self. Do you want to talk about that a little, Tara? Sure. Um, I think 
One of the cool things that uh, is interesting about slowing down is we all start to sort of regain our power of our, our, your own intuition, your own, oh, how does my body feel today? How do I want to move in this pose? And it starts to become okay if it doesn't look like the person next to you. Your life starts to become okay if it's not the Joneses next door. And we really go back to that state. Hopefully, we've all had it when we were a kid. We're like, I'm awesome. I love myself. I love my life. I love everything. And um, you know, yoga, you know, to use the onion thing, just starts peeling away all of that stuff in the way, all the baggage in the way, all of the crossed uh, telomerase and the microtubules. Rudy told me about that stuff. How if you're stressed, all these things in your brain, microtubules get get crossed. They don't sound good. They get crossed. <laughs> <laughs> they don't sound good. They're like out to get you. But when you Fried when you're sense. yeah, when you're de-stressed, they uncross and and more space opens up. I think one of the cool studies that I learned about just by researching the research was um, this uh, part of your brain where the yogis associate your third eye, which you know we all sort of think, oh, I'm intuitive right there, is uh, called your insula, and they hooked up these image mapping computers to meditating monks that had all these, ex you know, experience meditating, so it wasn't like first-time meditators, and it showed this area of their brain actually lighting up and and getting more vibrant and getting more energy there, and this area of your brain also just happens to be responsible for your creativity, your intuition, your your um, connection this is loosely associated with your connection to consciousness you know who we are where we come from all this stuff all these unknown answered questions that when you know all of us can tune in and be quiet we we sort of start to feel and experience so just just creativity picking, picking up on that yeah it comes right out of it this is the same thing that I found in my research uh, there's a guy in Philadelphia who's found that not just the insula but really yoga activates the whole right brain, which is the part that is associated with spatial relationships, creativity, aesthetics, emotions, and it seems like as the right side goes up, the left side goes down. It lets you quiet the, the chatterbox, the linear, mathematic, logical, freakazoid side on the, on, uh, that is the left brain, right? So you do your practice, you focus, you pay attention to your body, you're turning inward, and you are you know, reaching um, this quietude. And you can see it in the science. I mean, there's drips and drabs of this that are coming out clearer and clearer. And it's so exciting because um, in the chapter, the final chapter of my book, uh, Muse, I talk about this a lot. There's just reams of anecdotal evidence about this. Um, you, you know, the joke today is who in Hollywood doesn't do yoga, but it goes way back. I mean, Greta Garbo um, was a yoga freak, and she was out there telling people, you know, how to do the headstand, and um, lots of talented musicians sting. Um, you know, it's, um, it helps you unplug and somehow stirs those creative fires, which is a benefit I hadn't been looking for or thinking, thinking about. But now that I've gone and looked at the research, it couldn't be clearer. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> um, something else we, we talked about before also, and I think you know, we'd all agree here that there's uh, a healthcare crisis in the country, uh, and we're all, I, th I think everyone here would believe that yoga could do something to help there. Uh, do you want to do you want to talk about that, Tara? Sure. Um, you know, again, just just seeing a sample size of slice of New York and people, and you know, I do a lot of stuff online too, which is really cool because you can, you know, online is great because it's the opposite of television, where you're just you know putting out information and people can really communicate and share their stories with each other and learn and grow, and it's it's a ongoing, living, breathing thing, and it's just neat to see how people once they learn a few very simple things, just like meditation and some breathing techniques and very simple 
simple yoga poses that they can do and take on themselves, they really start to feel massive change in their body and become their own you know, sort of healthcare providers, which is really cool. So before anything happens, before they get, you know, all of these stresses and the cross tubules and all this stuff and we get back pain and all this stuff, you can sort of start to unwind this before it happens. And even when it does happen, people say, oh, okay, so I have back pain. What can I do? Slow down, take it easy. I've gotten the cure. I got the cure. I got the cure. No, literally, because I've got got the herniated. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. Amen. I've got a herniated L4, L5. Okay. Oh, here we go. Okay, this is it. Here comes the prop. Is everybody ready? It's not a guitar. It's a... It's a mariachi. Do not smash the iPad. That's not a good thing to do. It's a... Human spine. Woo! Woo! Awesome. Science class. <laughs> herniated L4, L5s are so common that they build them into the spine right down here. That's that little thing squishing out from the... Uh, from the disc there. I've got one. I think some other people on this stage might have one. You know, first thing in the morning, upward, <laughs> upward facing dog, you know, child's pose, back and forth, all that flexibility. Yoga healed me. Yeah, yeah, yoga healed me too. It's a great thing. And, uh, you know, knock on iPad, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have any problems. It's great. Uh, so, something, maybe you could ex- explain a little, a little bit more about this, the science here, but, uh, or just comment. Something I thought was really interesting, there was a story in the news last year about a man who lost, I think, like 300-some-odd pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did yoga every day. Mm-hmm. And he said it wasn't actually the physical asana of doing the poses or the sweat that made him lose the weight. He said that yoga made him more in tune with his body. He became yes. more mindful. He started eating better. Yes. And, yeah. you know, maybe talk a little bit more about that. I think there's a myth. Some people think it, it's got, yoga has to be super hot, fast, physical for it to work, but that's not the case. Right. It's, the, the science is really clear. You, yoga tends to slow you down and lower your metabolism. That means that it's not going to be a magic pill to make you lose weight because if all things are equal, you will actually gain weight. But your typical yoga teacher here is not lumpy. She's rather lithe, right? Most are. That's because yoga does all this mind stuff. It breaks the stress eating cycle. It helps you gain discipline. You can push back from the refrigerator. You're calmer, so you're not you know, using food as a crutch. I mean, that's so clear. Um, it's, it's not a magic pill, but it works. Tara? Uh, can I shout you out, Leslie? Is that okay? <laughs> so Leslie Lewis right there. Woohoo! Give it up. Yeah, Leslie. <laughs> So, uh, Testimonial statement. Yeah, so yeah, she's actually mentioned in the book. Uh, she wandered into Strala one day, had been doing a form of hot yoga for a long time, as well with jogging and all this stuff. And obviously, Leslie has no weight problem. She's a very thin girl. It was more for, um, you know, her health reasons, and she wanted to kind of keep things up. She would tell me she would go to a hot yoga class, leave, and go get a bacon cheeseburger and french fries. <laughs> I said, oh, that's really interesting. She said, well, you know, well, we started just talking about food and, you know, and I started t- telling her how, you know, you don't really need to preach to people when they start doing yoga about food because, you know, it just start, starts to happen, you know, just, just you know, see what happens. So a few weeks later, she said, Tara, oh my God, it's so weird. I, I left yoga today and I wanted to go home and make a salad and hummus and carrots. And now she has her bag of carrots and hummus all the time. <laughs> and it's like, and it really just, you know, her brain reorganized and yeah. it was practicing one form of yoga where it was more vigorous and stress focused and, and having to do a pose. And that goes, you know, that can be assimilated to 
you know, not that other forms of exercise are bad, but if you don't enjoy going to a spinning class, then you're saying, I don't want to be here anymore. I can't wait till it's I, over. I don't enjoy it. <laughs> I want to make a cheeseburger. But right. and then if you're going to a spinning class and you enjoy it, you may get a similar benefit. But yoga is just like that, way more heightened. So it just happens naturally. And so we have to eat, and there are two other things I think everyone in the room probably wants more of, and it's probably sleep and sex. No, he did not. <laughs> <laughs> woo, 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 woo. Well, <clears throat> we're both married. I confess, yes. I, I've, somehow, I've somehow managed to have three children, and um, I love them all. Um, there is a chapter in the book, Divine Sex. This was the hardest part of the book to research, and not for the reasons you think. <laughs> The science All those late night on the computers, uh, yeah. your wife is looking over your shoulder. You travel a lot too, William. The science was uh, confusing at first, and I had to do a lot of uh, you know, digging. But at the end of the day, it's really clear. Yoga stirs you hormonally and stirs you in ways that can be sexually arousing. That's really good for people with low libido. It may be not so great for people who are really high-strung and don't need their sex drive shot through the roof, but it works. Um, and, the si and the science is very clear about it, uh, which um, I think goes also to the sense of healing and wholeness. I mean, we're all sexual beings. Um, it's integral to our lives and consciousness and everything else, the great cosmic duality or whatever you want to call it. Um, and why not have your sex life operating as, ev as well as every other part of your life? Sounds good to me. <laughs> what do you think, Tara? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it goes a lot deeper than opening your hips and releasing tension in your muscles and all this stuff, which helps a lot. But, um, but yeah, I think it, it, it definitely goes back to the sense of being holistic. Uh, you, your body just comes back into balance in your mind, too, if you'll let it. I mean, I've seen a lot of people also start yoga and get terrified that something's happening to me and I don't know if I want to have these feelings. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And then they go back to the gym and you never see them again. But that, you know, that doesn't happen too often, thankfully. And, um, you know, we all want to feel good and we all want to feel great, you know, more than good. So, you know, if people give it a shot, then all sorts of amazing things happen and, and you just are allowed to take it from there. All right. Um, and so, we're, so you're both obviously fans of yoga. You both practice yoga. Where do, you, where do you see the future of yoga going? Where do you want it to go? Where do you see it in five years, ten years? William, you want to? Yeah, I am a... Uh, uh, we're both Midwesterners. I'm a naive optimist. I think You were the guru, weren't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. The, um, you know... I, everybody thinks, everybody, God, journalists ought to be slapped down right and left. Yoga is surrounded by this image of being really old and in some respects being perfect. I think the science is really clear and my conclusions that I draw from this five years of research is that in some respects yoga is in the beginning stages of something really big. And I think it's gone mainstream. I think that yoga and science and lots of ancillary arts are going to come together to produce yoga doctors, to produce, produce yoga medical schools where people have super rigorous curricula, learn anatomy and physiology, and go out and do natural cures and natural disease prevention where we're not spending zillions of dollars uh, to keep big pharma and all those factories chugging away. Um, but we're using our own internal factories. 
Everybody knows that yoga gives you exterior flexibility. I don't think people realize, and the science couldn't be clearer, that yoga also produces huge inner flexibility. And it happens on a hormonal level, in your nervous system, through your, you know, all the different subsystems of your body. It's really cool, and I think it's the future. I hope it is, because if so, the world's going to be a much better place. I agree. Tara? Well, it has to, otherwise we're all going to die. Yeah, it's going to get <laughs> ugly out there. It's going to get really bad, really quick. Really bad, really quick. Um, no. That naive optimism. <laughs> Come on. Oh, that's sarcasm. That's Midwest sarcasm. Okay. So, um, yeah, basically, uh, you know, it, it's interesting being in New York. New York is such a hyper microcosm of, of what is or is not in the rest of the world. And I've been here for a while, and I've also come from a place where people would they would they soak up yoga like a sponge if they knew it wasn't going to go against their religion and their and their everything else and um and I really kind of see yoga moving away from a, a small yoga community into a broader community of people the more you know the more it's commonplace to say oh I'm just going to go and breathe for a little while and that's not seen as like you know wussy if you're a guy or like oh that's just for girls or that's just for if you have this problem or this problem the more that's commonly accepted as oh yeah you should really go do yoga because that's good for you and I'm going to come too um, is uh, is good and the more people that are more people that are activists for that and and not wanting to own it so much because uh, you know something's very powerful is yoga no one owns yoga uh, I, I mean a lot of people try <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm going to patent it. And, patent it. And put a stamp out, on it. Put a stamp on it and send out Charge my lawyers. Charge fifteen dollars for it. <laughs> amen. Can I get an amen? How many poses do you have in your uh, brand of yoga? In my brand, I don't know. When's Two, your DVD yeah, so, coming out? Exactly. Stay Can tuned. I be in it? Yeah, yeah. As I'll be in the background. Sign the liability <laughs> waiver and deal with my lawyers. Everything will I be cool. I want royalties. Royalties. Forget it. Okay, ten percent. That's my final offer. I'll take it. So, 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 what do you say to someone out there who, you know, hasn't practiced yoga? There, there are a lot of, you know, we all know the stereotypes. What do you say? How, how do you get what someone to hit the mat? Uh, it really depends on who you're talking to. I mean, I've got a pretty good uh, family uh, around me in Illinois that I've, I've had the practice and privilege of convincing. And they've, you know, I just get them on the floor and I start doing things with my parents. And they're like, oh, my goodness. I don't know if I want to feel good, you know, and that's and that's the reality of that. I don't know if I want to feel good, which is a little bit scary, and and then that's the issue. So one, um, this is one thing that has just hit me hard recently. I mean, the the book goes into a lot of hidden benefits and things that are sort of surprising, but in a way, the most obvious aspects of yoga, you know, yoga helps make you f flexible. Yoga helps with balance. I mean, we're facing a gray tsunami. All my peers, the boomers, you know, are aging rapidly. Every old age home, every assisted living facility, every nursing home should be doing gentle yoga to improve the quality, the simple quality of life, and to sit around and laugh at each other, right? As you try to do these poses and, oh, look at, you know, Gertrude, it's hilarious. She can't, she, right? And, you know, Who's I mean, Gertrude? You want to tell us? Here she is, baby. It was a bad day. But the, um, you know, it improves the quality of how many, no, how many seniors, you know, fall, lose their balance, break a hip, end up in the hospital, catch an infection, and die. Why not do a simple thing, 10 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, a half hour every day to improve your quality of life? 
It's a no-brainer, and yet how many people don't do it? Amen. Amen. I think yeah. we're going to open up to some questions now from the audience. We've got a microphone right here. Just raise your hand. I'll bring it right to you. Right there? Okay. Hi. Oh, just like that. Okay. Hi. Um, thank you for the talk. Um, very, very helpful. Um, I had a question about, um, you know, specifically why yoga cures as opposed to, you know, Pilates or running or any other type of um, physical movement. Is it the connection to breath or mind-body? Um, if you could speak a little bit about why yoga in particular. Uh, okay, I got a little story. <laughs> uh, well, it's not it's not that long, don't worry. Um, so I've I've got the privilege to do a lot of work with some runners over the year over the years over like the last couple of years. Let's be honest. Um, so um, <laughs> so I met Ryan Hall, who uh, is the American uh, uh, record holder for marathons, and he's this really great guy. He's a Christian, and he's also been terrified of doing yoga because he he thought that it was against his his faith. And I said, well, you know, yoga is not, you know, it's not a religion, doesn't, you know, it can be whatever you want it to be. And I said, well, tell me about your running. And he said, well, I, when I run, I, I focus and I tune everything out. I tune out all the pain, I tune out everything, I tune out all my thoughts, and I focus on the running. And I was like, that's really interesting. Yoga is kind of the opposite of that. So you, you focus, you observe the sensation without getting involved in it. You observe without judgment your emotions, and you do that. And he's, you know, and like I hadn't seen him for a while. And he came back and he said, okay. I got a DVD. <laughs> it's Rodney Yee, and I've been doing it every day. Because he didn't want to do mine, because I'm a girl and the whole thing. So it's fine. <laughs> so he's been doing it. He said, you know, it's changed, it's changed my running. It's, it's helped me tune in and pay attention. And, and, and now he's going a little bit faster. <laughs> Wait, here's a, a quirky answer to that very, very good question. Um, yoga can get you into some pretty weird positions in life and physically. And it turns out some of them uh, can be incredibly beneficial. A guy I profile at the top of uh, chapter five, which is the healing chapter, is Lauren Fishman. He has a, a practice up on the east side. He's a medical doctor. He's also an, a Yengar teacher and has studied with a Yengar in India and is a yoga nutcake. So he is a skier. He badly injured his shoulder, uh, a rotator cuff injury. But he's a yoga nutcake. So he went ahead and was doing his routine. He's doing a headstand. He comes out of the headstand and he discovers that, oh, instead of only, you know, previously he had been only able to raise his arm that far, he could, he, he had, you know, restored movement, the whole range, right after doing that headstand. Well, he was, he's a curious guy. He studied it very carefully and figured out what was going on. It was muscle substitution. There's a whole group of muscles clustered around the shoulder. And he took it and he standardized it. He now teaches simple headstands to his patients. And more than 1,000 of them with rotator cuff injuries have not had surgery and have been cured by doing a simple five-minute modified headstand. That's powerful. Do you know how, you know, I mean, I don't know how to quantify that, but rotator cuff injury is expensive, and then you keep your arm strapped to your side for a long time while it all heals. You know, that's a tiny little taste for, for what some of this stuff can do, and, and it's like a little window into the future. Yoga can heal in interesting ways. Right over here. 
Hi. Uh, Mike, uh, I have to say I've been going to a place in Williamsburg. I'm sorry. I'm going to start coming back. Oh, no worries. All good. <laughs> um, as long as you're having a good time and breathing. Yes. I um, <laughs> studied a lot of yoga stuff and spiritual enlightenment type stuff. And I'm wondering if you found, William, in your research, uh, for me, my dominance is touch and movement. I like kite surfing and skiing, and so I attract to yoga. But someone that's a musician, their dominance may be hearing, and so they're not attracted to the movement discipline. Did you find any research that certain people are more attracted to yoga and other people it's just not for them at all? Or, and Tara, like same thing, do you have people that kind of struggle to get into it or? I don't, I don't think they're, I, um, the honest answer is that I, I'm not aware of research that's looked into it. And part of the problem and part of the struggle for me as an author putting this book together was finding the science and figuring out what was strong and worth reporting and what was you know, bad science and worth ignoring. Science hasn't looked at that um, deep level. Big Pharma is not funding science. The government funds very little. People that fund science tend to be yoga and fund the science of yoga tend to be yoga enthusiasts. There's a lot of good uh, science done in India. But the level, for instance, pranayama, there's probably hundreds of different styles. But science tends to look at, lump it together into fast yoga breathing or slow yoga breathing. You know, whether, that's a fascinating question and an idea whether you're more, um, you know, touch and physically oriented or sound oriented or what's the, the path. I haven't seen that studied scientifically at all. It's a great question. Tara, you want to touch on that too? Sure. Um, well, I've just, uh, I sort of feel, I guess is the best word I can say, that, that yoga is everybody's connected to it naturally. And I think that, um, you know, I've seen in New York, just like having the studio again, you know, people coming in and they've, they've maybe felt uninvited or unwelcomed, or maybe it's just in their head at another place, or they felt like it wasn't for them because of an experience they had. But I think, you know, if, if other people can just keep encouraging and, and, and finding other ways that, that hook people into it, then I think that's the, the people messing it up thing again. <laughs> you know, this is not science, but a huge aspect of yoga is sound, right? It's mantra, and it's internal sound currents, and which you probably know if you follow these spiritual paths. Um, when I studied that weekend with um, Amy Weintraub at Kripalu, she used sound. I mean, it was a musical weekend. She was using sound constantly, and it was almost like singing, right? And I, trust me, the science is not there, but. By doing this together with her, we would produce fascinating states of consciousness and physical awareness that I did not know were possible. And that was sound. So, you know, ancient India, you know, lives mantra and sound, and there's all kinds of sounds associated with the different chakras and all that stuff. Science ain't there, but it is powerful stuff, and for some people, that's probably a path into it. Next question. We got a question from the rear center. Hello, I'm a Strali and a big <laughs> fan of Tara's. Um, and I'm so appreciating how pro yoga you both are. But I did notice on your book, William, that you also say that there are risks and rewards. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious about the risks because I'm all about yoga curing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I didn't know if you had you had found in yes. your research that there were actually risks. There are serious risks. Okay. Here's the thing. The benefits, hidden and otherwise, are common. The risks are really rare. 
but they can be big. You know, the, the reason I haul this around as a science journalist is because one of the really big ones centers on this little artery. It's a small artery. It's not like the carotids you feel on either side of your windpipe. You know, it's ba-bum, ba-bum, ba-bum. These, you can't feel them. They're hidden in, the, hidden in this bony gauntlet up in, the, up in the neck region. But they feed the rear brain. And once, once, every, in once every blue moon, when somebody's doing a shoulder stand or a plow position, these delicate arteries get stretched and the inner lining can tear. And that will cause clots to form. Those clots can occlude the artery or the clots can go into the brain. In that case, it's a very bad day in the yoga studio because you can suffer a stroke. That's as bad as it gets. A stroke means part of your brain is being knocked out. It can't get the blood. So that's terrible. But it's, um, there's no epidemiology to say how common that is. It, it, the medical literature is cure. I talk about three cases in detail. And I was um, you know, traumatized a little bit to get mail from people who say, yeah, I just suffered a stroke last year, and I'm putting myself together. So it's out there. The thing that I found um, extremely surprising in my research, and I got a lot of feedback on this because uh, the New York Times Magazine excerpted part of the book, which focused just on injuries, and they did a bad thing. They ran a headline. The print edition was all bent out of shape. Oh, come on. That was your best, best press piece ever. Was, yeah, yeah. Your book well, went into number yeah, one in like yeah, three minutes. Yeah, yeah. However, you know, they came up with the headline, How, yo do anything how, yoga, cures how, yet. how, yoga, how yoga Can wreck, wreck Your Body, which is too strong, right? But um, I got all these interesting letters, and um, it was... I bet they were interesting. They're very interesting letters, including a lot of interesting hate mail. But the most surprising... <laughs> The most surprising, I'll read some of them if you want. The most surprising thing of all was how huge the community of creative reformers is. People out there who are doing, thinking through a lot of this stuff, coming up with new ways to do poses. Uh, the Iyengar community is famous for using props, using blankets, doing things to help tailor the the pose to the person rather than tailoring the person to the pose, you know, which is ridiculous. Good teachers know we're all individuals and you have to be careful. Some students can do some things that others can't. You can't, it's very ridiculous to prescribe, you know, the exact same thing for 40 people and think they're all going to do it exactly the same. But um, it's huge. I didn't know it. I wrote this chapter on injuries and it turns out there were three, count them, three other books on there just on yoga injuries and reform movements, ways to go about being smarter in doing these poses. They weren't down on yoga. They were trying to think about how to do yoga in smarter ways. That's why I get this overwhelming feeling of yoga, in some respects, is being born. It's, going, it's starting a new phase, and it's a cool phase. A good phase, you'd say, right? Yeah. I think it's also interesting. Um, we talk about at the studio a lot how you're doing yoga, and, and, and we're all in it. We all agree here. It's it's more important how you're doing it. If you're paying attention, you're breathing. That's when your brain can, you know, then what moves you're doing. Then you're just doing calisthenics or gymnastics. And I come from a ballet background, and I can tell you, ballet is the exact opposite of yoga. <laughs> you know, like you could be doing a very similar position, and but it's it's not yoga. I'm I'm the I'm the living proof. I've been doing this for 42 years. 
Here, here it is. Oh, here here's go, the, here here's the testimony. 42 years, I cannot touch my toes, right? I you don't can. care, right? I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do yoga my way. And I thought I you were going to do a headstand. No. You, can you have do to it. pay extra for that. I think he needs a little cheer. Come on. <laughs> yeah. well, no, yeah. no, 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 well, no, 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 yeah. no. But well. it's not, but that's the point. It's not what you do, it's how you do it. You know, focus. I, I tend to do my routine that I do every morning with my eyes closed, and I'm trying to pay attention. And I can feel the chatterbox closing down and getting centered and flowing through it. You know, doing a sun salutation with eyes closed, I mean, to me, is just like candy. It's just so sweet, and you're just following, and you are in flow heaven. And, um, you know, somebody looking at me objectively is probably going to be laughing, doubled over. You know, look at the goon. But, you know, it works for me, and, and that's the important thing. We have time for two more questions. Hi, um, my name is Leslie. I go to Strala. Um, this question, well, it's kind of for both of you, but mainly for Mr. Broad. Don't you feel like it's a little misleading to say that yoga slows down your metabolism on average? Just because I know that um, since I've been going to Strala and doing vinyasa, I have more muscle on my body than I've ever had. And I used to row crew, um, I used to lift weights, and I don't do anything but yoga and haven't in a year. And muscle raises the metabolism, and I eat, I mean, I eat healthy, but I do, I do eat a lot of fat. Um, and It's okay. Yeah, and it hasn't affected me at all. Um, so yoga, I don't think muscle mass is the basis for your metabolic, your basal metabolic rate. None of when a physician measures your um, your basal metabolic rate, muscle mass has nothing to do with it. It has to do a lot with your heart rate. Do you know has your heart rate gone down at all? I don't know. I mean, but we those are those are the studies that get done, and they have been done for a long time. This um, it's um, and it says. You know, and they've done it with this kind of specificity. On average, women lower their metabolism by 18%. Men tend to lower their metabolism by about 14%. And you know, the heart rate reduction that comes with that, or is a piece of that, you know, is one of the powerful things that are great for good health, stress reduction, all this other kind of stuff. So I, I think muscle mass is a different issue. I'm no um, medical doctor, and I'll say right now, you know, I might be, you know, off the page here. And um, but my best understanding of the metabolic studies is it's not muscle mass. It has to do with a deeper. Um, it has to do basically with breathing. How fast are your inner fires getting? To what extent are they being fanned? Um, and that's reflected in your breath rate and your heartbeat. So. And, that, and, and study after study, starting in 1851 with this guy looking at the Punjab yogi, you know, says that it slows it down and that it's a great thing. And our last question. Hello. <laughs> um, I have a question from, uh, I'm a yoga person also, Strala girl, um, but I'm also a medical doctor. Uh, oh, good. Well, then you can correct me. We have to make mistakes. <laughs> muscle, muscle mass actually has a higher metabolism than fat tissue. But. Ah, okay. <laughs> so do, can it affect, you know, the overall basal metabolic rate? Like if you're really... If you have more muscle mass, your, your basal metabolic rate should be... Increased. Should be higher. Yeah. 
But on average, well, okay. Yeah, that, on average, they, yeah. the, the way they measure it is that it tends to drop. But maybe they haven't measured, um, you know, people who've gained a lot of, you know, muscle by doing yoga. So it's, that's the thing. The, the science can be the science. It can right. be, it's limited to the people you study. And it doesn't maybe study all those people who have increased their muscle mass. Sorry to interrupt. No, that's fine. Um, my question is actually, it's, it's kind of a cynical point of view. As much as I love yoga. Oh, come now. <laughs> Um, my question is, do you, either of you, fear that people will take yoga cures to the extreme? You know, that, that yoga can cure anything. It can cure a huge abdominal tumor that you're growing. Right. Or... You can look on the internet and find the yoga cures cancer crowd. Scary. Um, do you want to? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, uh, you know, Mike and I always talk about this at home. It's like you need the left part of your brain. I mean, if you get run over by a car, if you have a broken arm, if you're, something really isn't right in there, you know, take advantage that we live in America and <laughs> go to a doctor. But yeah, I, I, I do feel like, you know, if there's extremists on, on all levels with, you know, I'm never gonna see a doctor ever and I refuse to see a doctor because I do yoga and, and I drink green juice and, you know, I'm, I'm sort of one of those, but I'm, I'm, I'm okay so far. But if something, if something happened to me and, um, you know, I, I was really run down last year and I ended up getting this uh, kidney infection, I knew I wasn't sore in the back. And so I went to see my doctor and she put me on antibiotics and um, I've never been on antibiotics before and they worked and thankfully they did. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I think, you know, it's important to, to keep a level head and to keep common sense. But I think um, part of that common sense is a daily yoga practice for everybody on the planet. My, my hero is Lauren Fishman up on the east side, who is a medical doctor who is, uses medicine all the time when, it, when medicine is right and uses all the t yoga all the time when yoga is right. And the genius of Lauren Fishman is that he can pick and choose and use whatever tool it is that he needs to best be in a position to help his patient. And he will not do things just because it costs a lot of money, right? He'll do the thing. If it's a natural cure, great. He loves it. So that's my big hope for the future. Um, I am, and you know, I, do, I love yoga, but I'm a cross trainer too. I I'm a gym rat. I love to swim and do all this stuff. I, my vision of the future for healing and curing and, and disease prevention is, you know, let a thousand flowers bloom. Grab the good things out of all these arts, including medicine and public health. You know, antibiotics have a bad rap, but they work and we need them. Um, so let's use these tools that science uh, has made available to us. And let's also pay attention to the natural wonderful stuff inside us as well which yoga helps us pay attention to. <laughs> Amen. It's all come full circle. <laughs> Do we have time for one more? Or? All right, back here. Thank you so much. I, I came late, so I'm not sure if you, I, anyone asked the question or you covered. How does yoga help in your opinion? I mean, you, we've, we've spoken about the asanas part, but there's so many other limbs of yoga that we haven't talked and I don't know, I haven't read your Just book. Just one yoga. <laughs> Right. Well, the f f chapter three in the book talks about um, pranayama a lot, for instance. You, you know, there, but most of the science, and the book is about the science of yoga, ha does focus on uh, asana, simply because it's easy to measure and quantify. Uh, there are many other parts of yoga that uh, science hasn't looked at that it may in the future. Pranayama is one thing that's been looked at a little bit. But to a large extent, it has focused on what it does to you, what asana does to you physiologically. 
Tara, you want to give us some uh, closing thoughts on why everyone needs to uh, practice yoga and pick up yoga cures, most importantly? <laughs> no bias Buy here. Buy the book. <laughs> or else. I'm just kidding. Buy the book. I'm just kidding. <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> no, I mean, I think, uh, you know, everything I've done since I was first beamed here from wherever um, has been looking at everything is it's all connected and, and we're in a time right now where we, we have we, we if we're not going to get connected now the end is near <laughs> you know our end is near by you know people are getting all kinds of problems problems that are very easily reversible by yoga by meditation and most importantly how we practice yoga not getting in fights over whose yoga is best being easy when we practice yoga you know being more compassionate to each other and um, and encouraging each other to practice yoga because we we know there's benefit science is really good at scratching the surface we're really good at being intuitive and knowing and encouraging and and being all these great things that humans are so working together with science and you know my good friend Deepak is great in bringing science and, and spirituality and, and sages together and 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 things like that that just perpetuate the conversation things like this tonight that keeps uh, keep us going and talking to our families that aren't here and um, saying hey I did yoga and like it cured my my headache or hey I did yoga and it cured my back pain or you know, I lost weight because I feel better about myself and, um, you know, not being afraid to share those very personal and sometimes embarrassing stories because, um, you know, embarrassing is good sometimes. On that note, <laughs> thank you very much. William Broad, Tyra Stiles, thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you.